talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. Well, I wish I could tell you every time you hear that music, you think of me, but that's not probably true. Hello, everybody. Kurt Bavacqua here, back on the pine with Dirty Kurt's Dugout. Episode number 13, Lucky 13, my Dave Concepcion day on the air with you. And we've got a nice little duo for you. Mm-hmm. Matt Vaskersian. He's one of my favorites. He really is. Uh, he became one of my favorites here when he was here with the Padres in San Diego, uh, calling the games. And the other guy that we'll translate to is Jay Jaffe. And if you don't know who he is, Google him real quick. But he does a little bit of everything. He's a biographer, a blogger, audiobook guy. But you know what? Whew, he knows his stuff. And you will see. You will see just how much he does know. But first up, my guy, Matty V. Matty, thank you so much for joining me. Dirty Kurt, and it's a pleasure to be on with you, man, anytime. I, you know what? You're going to think I'm lying about this. My desk chair at MLB Network has a Bavakwa jersey shirt hanging proudly on it, and that's, that's kind of how I roll. You know, I got to tell you, I, I created uh, quite a stir on uh, social media the other day when I, I think I got up on the wrong side of the bed the other morning. And the first thing I see is somebody posting uh, one of my jerseys on that's standing in the gift shop uh, down at I don't, probably Petco. And right away I go, why do the major league clubs have the rights forever in perpetuity to players always being able to sell their jerseys with their name, number on the back. I mean, number seven in San Diego is Manuel Margot. Everybody knows that. But this jersey had number seven on it. So it's funny that you say that because I went on a little bit of a rant yesterday. And I tell you what, I got the biggest response that I've gotten for anything ever on social media. Yeah, but don't you? And this is a this is a legit question. Don't you get per the Players Association agreement with Major League Baseball? Isn't everything put into the same bucket f- for back end for the players? Like, I, hasn't that all been negotiated? Yeah, it's been negotiated for the active players. You know what? Don't even get me started with uh, what the Players Association does and doesn't do for active players opposed to alumni players. Uh, just ask Harold next time you're on set with him. So How so his brother's being treated with the situation that he's in. And if, you, if you're if you not familiar with it, um, Harold's brother, Donnie, uh, was a guy that didn't get four years in the big leagues. And he did not play after the 1979 season. So, in other words, he fell into that black hole of any player 
that played between 1947 and 1979 that the Players Association, and at the time it was Marvin Miller and Don Fair, at the time they agreed with the owners that from that day going forward, what, what I'm talking about that day was 1980 going forward, anytime you step foot for one day in the big leagues, you're going to be eligible for the pension. I mean, that was a huge deal at the time. Sure, sure. That's, I mean, that's benefits. That's, that's health and welfare for you and your family if you need it. Like, it's a Absolutely. big deal. Absolutely. Yep. Well, uh, don't start looking into it because it'll drive you crazy. And besides, you've got a lot of other things to do. You know, I was watching, uh, I was watching the game, and you know what? You feel comfortable with everybody, but I got a big crush on Shahadi. I don't know what it is. It's either her or DeRosa. I, don't, I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> well, I think DeRosa has a little man crush on you. I showed him video of uh, you in the 84 brawl with the Braves. <laughs> he liked that. He liked the bubblegum stuff. He's a fan of yours. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Shahadi had never heard of you until you made your appearances on our show, but she's also a fan. Um, well, yeah, I had they, never heard of her before I watched MLB either. And that's fair. So that's you fair. made her famous. Yeah, absolutely it's fair. That's fair. You've accomplished a little bit more in the game than uh, than, than we all have combined. But, um, yeah, you know, they're, they're a fun group to work with. I don't do that show anymore. No, I was just going to ta- ask time. you about that. Yeah, you know, I got to do the Sunday night games now, which I love. And, and it just wasn't possible to do a Monday through Friday morning show and then be you know lucid during the p.m. hours for the late game on Sunday and not to mention there's a, there's some extra work that comes along with that Sunday game because it's a standalone game it's the only one on at that hour you want to make sure you're there on Saturday to talk to players and and do the proper prep for it so MLB Network was nice enough to switch me on to some nighttime stuff during the season and the uh, Sunday nights have been going okay we've, we've been having a good time you know, as much as the different segments that you do stand out to, I'm sure, all viewers that watch it, uh, the thing that really stood out for me were the women. I mean, I don't know who, I don't know who found them. And I'm not talking about to look at them. Yeah. You, know, you and I both know, you know, we're, we're not opposed to looking at a good-looking woman. But I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about their expertise and the fact that you can close your eyes and follow along. And and I'm not even going to make the analogy of a Scully being able to listen to him on the radio and just the game's almost there. But those girls are so good at what they do that it's amazing. And I I I think it's all because of the guys that work with them at that station. And well, you people know, the, behind the, the scenes, naturally. Yeah, yeah. The, we have a, good, a great uh, research department, and there's a there's this kind of uh, biblical publication that comes out every morning. Um, that's the research packet, and there's a team of people that put together game notes on every matchup and every trend in baseball. And it's it's you know, ESPN has the same group, and so does Fox. But, but they do a really good job giving you nuggets on every game and it, enough to make you either informed on everything or at least ask the next question as to what you know what else or what next or why is this the case. So, yeah, to your point, 
the females on the air at MLB Network are great. They're all huge baseball fans. I mean, that's that's the thing too. At a play, at a specialty shop like MLB Network, the the at the very bottom, the very least, the thing everybody has to have is that you have to love baseball first. Don't come here if you're just a sports person and you love, you know, football, baseball, basketball, hockey the same. You got to love the game of baseball first because we're a specialty shop. And I can truly say that for everybody that's there on the air, the females, the males, the analysts for sure because they played the game. Like baseball's our first love. That that's 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 like core to being successful there. And especially this time of year, look, we're about to get into the, the competition months with football and we we all love football. We're all football fans, but you got to kind of remember that you love baseball more in September and October, especially Kurt in September when the biggest blight in our industry takes place. And that is September roster expansion. And these <laughs> <Yeah>. rosters <laughs> swell to 40 players and the game gets unwatchable at times because you've got 13-man bullpens, and you know major league managers. You give them an option like that, and they're going to use it. Mm-hmm. I remember a few years ago there was an opening weekend in the NFL, and on that Sunday the Red Sox and Orioles, no, Red Sox and Blue Jays played a nine-inning game that took four hours because there were 18 pitchers that appeared. There were 16 doggone pitching changes in a nine-inning game. Do you think that somebody who's thinking about maybe watching a, a football game versus your Red Sox or, or, or Blue Jays game is going to tune into the baseball game when it's commercial after commercial because of a pitching change? It single-handedly restricts our game from reaching the popularity it should. But through all that, everybody down there still loves the game and we still do our best to, to promote it. Well, we, we both know it's a great game, but uh, speaking of a great game, there something went on uh, within the past couple of days in Washington that uh, evidently they threw up, they've thrown up the flag. Daniel yeah. Murphy, Matt Adams, I never thought those two guys would leave Washington before Harper, but they have. Yeah, yeah, yep. It was the only thing that I regret not doing on the air tonight. I have a Ray Guy poster in my office. And I was going to bring the Ray Guy poster onto the set. And when we talked about those trades, I was going to hold it up and say, it's a punt. The Nationals are punting. (laughs) And nobody there is willing to say that because they want to, you know, they still want to appear to their fan base as though they're trying to win it. Look, they're seven and a half out with six weeks to play. For a different team, you'd say maybe there's still a chance. But for that team who's been flatlined all year long they've had opportunity after opportunity to make ground against the Phillies and Braves they haven't done it they're finally apparently there's some pressure from ownership to make the thing a little leaner this year and if you know they did put Harper on waivers by the way and they couldn't come up with a deal that Dodgers put in a claim on him per the reports that we got and 48 hours expired there was no deal they pulled him back off which they have the license to do. But they Mm -hmm. found a buyer for the rest of Murphy's money. They found a buyer for the rest of Adam's money, which wasn't a lot. And I wouldn't doubt if there's more to come because they're they're not going to catch the Phillies or Braves. That's the most disappointing story in baseball this year. The talent on that team, and they haven't been able to do it. 
Well, I was going to ask you the greatest story for 2018 in baseball, and it might revolve around what you just talked about because I, I think it might be the Phillies and the Braves. What do you think? You know, that's been a good one. Uh, the Braves kind of, you know, worst to first ascension, but I would also offer the Oakland A's as a, a mm-hmm. great story this year too because who saw that coming? I mean – Look at the rotation that they've put together this year, and it's not filled with a lot of superstar names. You know, maybe if it was six years ago, it would get your attention. But beyond Sean Manaya, uh, Trevor Cahill, Brett Anderson, who goes tonight, and Edwin Jackson, and this is a team that's run down the Astros, the defending world champs. That's been a great story. Chris Davis has hit more home runs than anybody in baseball since the start of 2016. And he still gets confused with the guy who's overpaid in Baltimore. I mean, man, and, and no offense to that, Chris Davis, because he's a good player too, but based on productivity, he'd rather have the guy in Oakland. It, 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 they've been a great story. Bob Melvin's terrific. And look, not since you played in the league, Kurt, when uh, you know Sal Bando and Joe Rudy were my heroes as a kid, have they been this underrated before making a splash in, in you know into everybody's consciousness, because when, when it was Zito, Mulder, and Hudson, we knew they were good. When it was Canseco and McGuire and Ricky, we knew they were good. This version, this vintage of the A's, has snuck up on everybody, and it's been awesome. Well, the baseball world knows that you're a huge A's fan. Did you know that MC Hammer used to steal my bats when I went into town? Really? Yeah, yeah, and and you know what? He admitted to it on Twitter. Because I got a lots of tweets after that going, MC Hammer just talked to you. I go, I know. I go, he I know him. But you, this is when you were in Milwaukee? No, when I was with Kansas City and uh, Texas. That's, that's, he he liked the model bat that I used. And he used to go over there and rob him every time he told me. That's all right. I used to do the same thing with Reggie Jackson's. That's how I got my Adirondack bats made off of a Reggie Jackson model. That was the probably that's that was the origination of it's hammer time. He's going to steal Kurt's bat. There you go. There you go. A great A's fan and the guy that used to hang around the park that nobody even knew about. Yeah. Well, Maddie, I really appreciate it. I know uh, you get uh, asked to do these shows left and right, and uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing some time with me and the listeners. And uh, continued success. You're doing an outstanding job. I love, I love listening to you and uh, and watching you for a mat- uh, that matter. And how hard was it to leave Williamsport? What a nice little place that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't hard because, honestly, like you get in the car and you go about, I don't know, 90 seconds and you've left Williamsport. Physically, it's not a big place, so it's it's pretty easy to leave the city limits. But the vibe was cool, man. It was, you know, it's 2,500 kids and their parents. And, you know, being in a minor league park for a big league game for me was cool. Forget about it. The little league component was, was awesome into itself. But for me, and I, I spent six years working in the minors, and I have a lot of uh, great memories from those times. That that's what that's what hit home for me: being in a minor league park, doing a major league game that had pennant implications for the Phillies. It was fun. It was a good time. Well, uh, I enjoyed the broadcast. Uh, I'm sure everybody that watched it did. Twenty five hundred people. That must have been kind of weird. 
Yeah, it was it, – it, yeah, because you didn't get – I mean, there was no crowd swell. There was no enthusiasm. You know, run crosses the plate or a big strikeout to end an inning and leave runners on. There was no roar. There was no noise. But you didn't expect it. And I don't know. I, there was something about it that was pure, you know, and the players were all into it. They spent a lot of time with the kids – there was a moment when all the Mets starters just kind of left the bench and sat with the Staten Island team in the stands, which was just the coolest thing. That, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen very often at any any of the four North American professional sports leagues. There's no way that happens in the NBA or the NFL. No chance. I know. So I know. our that, game's out awesome. in front on that thing. It's That's why it's cool. Well, I'm going to be driving through Secaucus next week. So uh, no, you're I don't not. know. If, what are you doing out here? Are you really? Yeah, I, I will be. I, I actually will. I've got to make an appearance uh, in Staten Island on the uh, evening of the 31st with the uh, Staten Island Yankees in that nice little ballpark they have over there. And then I'm uh, then I'm driving up to. Uh, well, no, I'm driving up to Binghamton before that. So I'm landing in LaGuardia on the 26th, that I'm and I'm going to go and kind of hang around. Uh, Little Falls and Wayne and do some business. And then I'm going to drive up to Binghamton and play in a, a charity golf tournament that uh, Mudcat Grant has his name on. Oh, so geez. I'll be, I'll be going, I'm going to make my way through Secaucus and I'm going to try to uh, see this palace that is MLB network. All right. Be in, t- be in touch. Then let me know when you're going to be there. I'll make sure they roll out the red car because if you're, if you're playing in, in a golf tournament, mud grants got his name attached to, I'm sure you got to bring your own clubs and your own bottles of water. Yeah, But it's mud, it's Jim Mudcat grant. Oh, that it's not, mud-cat. Oh, yeah, oh, it's then, not the oh, mudcat. Grant. You know, it's funny because when they asked me to play in that golf tournament, I thought the same thing you'd, I go, why in the hell is mud having a tournament in Binghamton, New York? I go, just this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> if, if if San Diego's Mud Grant was having a tournament uh, somewhere in the world, it would be at a putt putt course, and you'd have to pay your own entry fee. <laughs> and we both love them. <laughs> oh, Maddie, thanks so much. Have a great All night, right, and we'll talk okay, to you buddy. soon. See ya. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> oh boy, doesn't get any better, Matt Vaskersian. No, it doesn't. And the next guy up is going to be just as much fun. Trust me. But first, I got to ask you, uh, if you like this podcast, you can go anywhere that you can find podcasts. You know, Apple, Google, you know, the normal places, Stitcher, Spotify. But go to patreon.com slash and take a look at the offer that's being offered right now. And it's unbelievable. I mean, it is a deal that you've got to look at. It involves a bottle of great Cabernet Sauvignon wine with Trevor Hoffman's autograph on it, a special label, an artist's rendition of uh, Trevor in action. I mean, it is one heck of a deal. So take a look at it. Go to patreon.com slash and check it out. My next guest only writes for si.com. He only writes books, and you know what? He knows what he's talking about because let me tell you what people like the New York Post's Larry Getlin said about the Cooperstown casebook, which is what we're going to get into on this show because I promised you last week that we were going to talk about guys 
that should be in the Hall of Fame and aren't. Well, if you want to know about that stuff, Jay Jaffe's the guy to go to, and that's why he's on the show. Jay, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks, Kurt. Good to be here. Well, thank you so much. So your your little casebook's getting some pretty damn good reviews. Yeah, it it, it, it got some nice reviews. It was uh, it was a thrill to see that uh, people uh, liked what I had to say and uh, uh, that they. Uh, viewed it as something that uh, I think you know will go on their shelf next to their Bill James books uh, uh, and things like that. So it's always flattering to hear something like that. He, this this Getlin guy that writes for the Post, uh-huh. his quote is, "It's the year's most thrilling and fascinating book. One of the year's most thrilling and fascinating books." Now look, he didn't just look at three or four books; he did forty of them. And wow. your yeah. book, your book was the only sports book. That's I know, crazy. That was, that was that was flattering. That was flattering. I mean, I wish I wish that were I wish there were more more Larry Getlins around who who felt the same way. Uh it got some other uh nice reviews uh, uh here and there, but I don't think anybody called it uh quite thrilling uh or and put it as the the only sports book on their list. So, uh I I do appreciate uh, what he said about it. Well, after I talked to you the other day, I go down to the local Barnes and Noble to get one. Uh-huh. And now couldn't get one really so they have one ordered for me okay so there you go i mean we're i'm in san diego encinitas california and can't get your damn book no i'm sorry no no that's good it's good for you unless they you know only threw two in there at the beginning but i kind of doubt it yeah but now that people are asking for it they're probably going to get more so that's that's all good i hope so so let's get into this because every year it's the same thing. Um, we talk about it before, we talk about it after, but not too far after to where it kind of dies off and we have to wait until next year again. But I think this thing needs to be continuing on as the year progresses. To It's too late to talk about guys that are already in because – Nobody's ever going to get ejected from the Hall of Fame. But there are some pretty sad cases of guys that should be in that aren't. And out of your top guys, who are the top three? And let's not talk about steroid guys for now. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, Well, if we're talking about guys who are uh, on on the writer's ballot and don't fit your qual fit your classification. I think you know two that really stand out to me, or three that really stand out to me. Uh, uh, Edgar Martinez, who's uh, uh, hopefully going to get in here uh, this this coming year, his final year on the ballot. Mike Messina, uh, who just an outstanding pitcher, who who I think is. Uh, uh, really underrated, and Scott Rowland, a third baseman who uh, was just an outstanding two-way player, one of the best defensive uh, third basemen of all time. Um, if we're looking beyond uh, who's on the writer's ballot, uh, a couple that stand out to me in particular are Mini Minoso, uh, just a great pioneer for uh, of, of Latin American ball players, and Dick Allen, one of the heaviest hitters of his era. Uh, I think uh, both of those guys... Uh, uh, belong in Cooperstown as well, but the, now with uh, with Dick, it would be the Veterans Committee, right? Yeah, these are the, these are guys who would be uh, who would come up on the on what's called it's now called the uh, the Golden Air the Golden Baseball Era Committee. That's a really weird and cumbersome title. Um, it's uh, 
uh, it used to be the uh, the Golden Era Committee, and then uh, they changed it again a few years ago. So they won't be eligible uh, again until the winter of 2020, um, two years from now, which is a shame because uh, Alan is uh, in his 70s, and uh, uh, unfortunately many passed away a couple of years ago after just falling short. So um, uh, they got to wait their turn in this in this cycle. Didn't didn't Minoso play in six decades? Yeah, he did. I mean, the last couple were were sort of were sort of stunts. Um, you know, he, he uh, White Sox in 1976 and 1980 after serving coach both years, and you know, in some ways, I think that actually hampered his candidacy because it reset the clock. Um, you know, you're you're on the ballot uh, uh, five years after you retire, and and uh, but if you come back, it resets the clock, and so I think the people that were voting for him. Uh, uh, you know, were voting for him in the mid '80s, but they were, you know, voting on a career that had taken place in, you know, in the in the uh, uh, '50s and '60s. Oh, you know what? And, I never uh, thought about that. Yeah, it. it, it uh, uh, I, you know, I think it did him a disservice. I mean, you know, we we talk about. I mean, you know, there are young writers, to, you know, today, you know, who have uh, been in the BBWA for ten years, but are, you know, still uh, maybe at, at most. Uh, uh, in, you know, in, in their late 30s, who are who are vo- you know voting on guys who played in the 90s, but um, you know there's much more resources in terms of going you know getting footage and and, and understanding the numbers uh, to to compare those guys. That was not the case, uh, you know, circa 1985. There was there was a lot less information out there, and uh, uh, many just didn't get the time of day from a lot of voters. We're speaking to Jay Jaffe. He's a writer for SI.com. Uh, he has a book out called The Cooperstown Casebook. And whether you're a baseball fan or not, this is supposedly, and the reason I haven't read it yet is because I haven't been able to find the damn thing. So it's supposedly one heck of a book. I'm definitely going to read it because this thing really intrigues me about who gets voted into the hall, who does it. You know, I I used to just look at the writers and I used to think to myself, you know what? These guys are really horses A's. I mean, that's all there is to it. They got they got a guy that is a Hall of Fame player from day one, and they're going to keep with their old-time thoughts and say that there's not a guy that's going to get in with 100% of the vote. It's never going to happen. I think that'll change within a matter of the next 10 years or so. At least I hope it does. But there's a couple of guys that I want to ask you about, Jay, that – I can't figure out how these two guys fell below the necessary 5% to not remain on the ballot in the coming years. And that's Lou Whitaker and, huh, you know, I hate it when my mind goes completely blank. But <laughs> well, see, the, I, other I, guy, I like the other guy is Kenny Lofton. Kenny Lofton, yeah. Those are two two great examples. I would also say Ted Simmons. Uh, and Bobby Gritch kind of fit that fit that same mold. All those guys, um, yeah, it's it's kind of baffling how how they could you know receive less than five percent of the vote. I mean, you know, there's a there there's this uh, you know informal custom not only that uh, uh, do, does nobody ever get a unanimous vote, uh, but for you know for a very long time, you know, a certain uh, cadre of writers kind of took pride in making sure that somebody wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's a distinct, as if as if it said anything different on your plaque if you were voted in in the first year or the 15th year, uh, as if that really mattered. 
um, you know, that, that they would withhold their vote the first year and kind of, you know, they didn't want to be seen as, as, as you know, being too, too much of a champion for a guy who wasn't, uh, you know, the next Willie Mays or whatever. And so you had a lot of people saying, well, I'm not going to vote for Lou, for Lou Whitaker uh, or, you know, or Ted Simmons or Bobby Gritch, uh, but I hope somebody does. Uh, and then it turned out not enough people did, and they didn't get their chance to vote for them again. Now, Lofton was a bit of a different case. Uh, Lofton came along in 2013. That was the same year that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Sammy Sosa and Mike Piazza and Craig Biggio uh, and Kurt Schilling, one of the greatest uh, classes in terms of statistical accomplishments uh, ever to hit the ballot at the same time, and also a very controversial one because of the connections of you know, performance-enhancing drugs for those guys and a very you know, polarizing subject uh, that uh, – um, you know, you can find a wide range of opinion on, you know, within the writers. Um, there were so many, you know, worthy players on the ballot, and yet uh, there was a certain faction of the writers that was that wanted to stage a protest uh, over the uh, arrival of Bonds and Clemens in particular uh, that uh, that nobody got in that year, uh, and that poor Kenny Lofton, who was, you know, maybe the seventh best newcomer on the ballot, or you know, maybe just maybe the fifth best newcomer on the ballot, just a very, you know, a very good one, uh, just disappeared without a trace, got something like 3.2% of the, of the vote, and, uh, um, and, and now is, uh, became ineligible, which is just uh, you know, very sad. He's an uh, outstanding defender, outstanding leadoff hitter, uh, key cog on several winning teams. And now he has to wait another three years before the Veteran Committee, committee uh, can vote again. Yeah, I that that rule drives me nuts. I, I you know the fact that um the fact that uh, uh you can get bumped off that ballot and then you have to wait uh, even though you're ineligible in that ballot, you have to wait the full tenure uh of of what would have been your run uh, on the ballot. Um you know, it just causes these guys uh you know, they they just disappeared. It, it happened to Whitaker, it happened to Gritch, it happened to to Simmons. Uh, those guys have, you know, Whitaker and Gritch have never been on a veterans committee ballot. Um, Simmons has finally gotten on a couple of these, you know, era committee ballots. Um, Lofton, I hope, will be somebody who gets considered in that context as well. But yeah, having to wait, um, and he's lucky in some ways that the the eligibility run changed from 15 years to 10, or he would be uh, ineligible until. Uh, uh, like 2029 or something like that. It's just ridiculous. But uh, um, he is going to be uh, up for election uh, again in a few years. I actually had written a profile of him for the book. Then I realized, you know, this book's coming out in 2017. It's going to be a good six years before he can be considered. Maybe I'll save that for a second edition if I get to do one. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately, uh, uh, that's, uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a cold case relative to some of the other ones. Well, getting back real quick to your Jaws list, uh, and that is a list of every position and every player, whether in the Hall of Fame or not yet in the Hall of Fame, and where they stood as far as statistically with all of the new sabermetrics and analytics and all of the new numbers thrown in. I mean, you look at those lists and it drives you nuts, Jay. I mean, you see a guy, you talked about Bobby Gritch. You see a guy that's on that list. He's number eight, I believe. Yeah. Or in the top ten for sure. Mm-hmm. And then you look down below Bobby's name, and you see fifteen guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Yep. And it's- you wonder, 
what happened here? And it it just drives you crazy. I don't know how people um, go through this every year. Yeah, no, it's 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 aggravating, you know. And and they, I, I certainly feel for the players that you know that 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 go through it. And I know that not every not every player is is. Uh, uh, you know, even some of the ones who are qualified for the Hall of Fame are, are as convinced themselves, or maybe the, maybe maybe the humility is real. Maybe they just don't want to be up here as be, as campaigning. I know, Gritch. I was reading about him a couple years ago. Uh, you know, he's a guy whose career ended. He was about 36 years old, and uh, uh, I think by his own, you know, by his own uh, uh, admission, he never. He never thought he was a particularly strong Hall of Fame candidate, but you know, we that was a, he, that was at a point when. We couldn't really uh, estimate the value of defense in the same way that we can now, uh, even you know retrospectively. And once once you do, and you see the value of what he was doing, um, you know not, not only when he was with the Angels, but when he was with the Orioles and first came up and was just a just a legitimately outstanding fielder. Uh, he really, you know, just incredibly underrated player. I mean, the knock on him was he was hitting 250, 260 at the time. Well, he was hitting 250, 260 with a 380 on base percentage and, you know, was 20, 10, 20 runs above average in the field. He was, uh, uh, you know, an all-star caliber player. And sometimes he was recognized that and sometimes he wasn't. Um, but uh, because his career petered out in the mid-30s due to a back injury, um, you know, people forgot about him. They just looked at the career totals and, you know, 224 homers, 1,833 hits. That doesn't seem like, you know, you know that's, that's not those aren't Joe Morgan numbers. They're not uh, uh, Eddie Collins numbers or Rogers Hornsby numbers. So forget about him. And then, you know, now that we can more accurately estimate his value and you can see that uh, – uh, he's about an equivalent of uh, a Ryan Sandberg or uh, a Roberto Alomar. Uh, yeah, it does. It does kind of uh, uh, gnaw at you a little bit that uh, you can't do more for the guy. Well, it doesn't gnaw on me as much as this. Uh, as past Baseball Writer Association president Susan Slusher said via Twitter, it's senseless to keep steroid guys guys out when the enablers are in the Hall of Fame. And who she was talking about here was a guy that's been elected to the Hall of Fame in the last couple of elections, and that's the former commissioner, Bud Selig. When he yep. got elected into the Hall of Fame, I thought they should blow the building up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I look, the, the, steroid, the, the whole steroid issue is a complicated one. I think, you know, the right – the right understand to, to me, having studied it at length for, for other projects, even before I got quite so immersed in the hall of fame, understanding it as a complete institutional failure that, you know, that it wasn't just the individual players acting badly, but that, you know, it was their union who didn't do enough to defend the clean players, that it was the owners who looked the other way, that it was the commissioner who, you know, who, who was an owner at the time and, and, and kind of looked the other way and didn't do enough for enforcement. Um, you know, it's a complete institutional failure. It implicated everybody, and 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 if 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 uh, if Bud Selig is in, if Bud Selig gets a pass for it, this, the person who had the who had the single most power to change uh, what was going on, if he's in the Hall of Fame for it, I don't see how you can keep uh, the players who were using at least before uh, there was a policy in place that you know that included testing uh, guys like Bonds and Clemens. I'm not sure how you can how you can keep them out. Now, you know, now that we've got a policy and you want to hold uh, the positive test for the suspensions against a Manny Ramirez or an Alex Rodriguez when his time comes, I think that's a different story. But, 
yes, if Bud's in, I think, you know, he enabled all these guys. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with Susan. You talked about him being an enabler, and that's when he was in the commissioner's office. But you don't get elected to the Hall of Fame uh, just serving one office. You get elected to the Hall of Fame for a lifetime of service to the game. And Bud Selig was an owner before he gained commissioner, and he was one of the major major components in the collusion that took yeah, place in the mid eighties. Absolutely, that absolutely ruined the game and put a black eye on the game of baseball uh, forever. With the owners getting together and doing what they did, and I got it firsthand uh, from one of the. Uh, he he actually wasn't an owner but he was a high-ranking management official of the San Diego Padres who literally told me about the meetings that they had prior uh, oh boy. In, in agreeing to do the collusion deal when yeah. Uberoff brought them together and the whole, the whole ball of wax. But that, that really galled me, being one of the players that was involved in the collusion case, having it cost me a couple of years of my career yeah. because I definitely would have – would have continued to play. And then the guy that was behind it, or one of the guys that was behind it, goes into the Hall of Fame, and he will forever be immortalized as a great commissioner. And I, yeah. I just think it's a shame. Yeah, I, look, I agree with you. I mean, I think collusion was a far more, had a far more corrosive impact on the game uh, than uh, – uh, than even the steroids did, and I, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to excuse the steroid stuff. I think it it was it was bad for the game, but uh, um, you know, it, the uh, as with so much, you know, so many other walks of life, it's you know the the billionaires are able to are, are able to uh, you know turn the attention away from their own misdeeds and towards those of the of the millionaires and the and the and 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 the thousandaires, and uh, uh, they're the ones who take the fall. Uh, it's not the uh, it's not the billionaires who who are being held accountable. So, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I collude, the collusion disgusts me. And, and when you when you think about, um, you know, uh, this is one of one of my bones, and we're talking about omissions from the Hall of Fame. He wasn't a player, but Marvin Miller. The fact that Marvin Miller can be on the outside looking in, um, you know, I think is galling, especially when you've got all of these collusion era owners or, or reserve clause era owners and, the, and their legacies uh, because there were and have been, you know, several, you know, sons of uh, uh, reserve clause era owners who themselves have, have, have taken on executive positions when they're on the committees that are voting on Marvin Miller. Well, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a stacked jury uh, against them. And, and that disgusts me too. And uh, the fact that Miller hasn't gotten in, I think is, is an abomination. Well, you know what? You can blame former players partially. I, I agree with I agree with you. I think you know, a few years ago when Reggie Jackson was on that was on the Veterans Committee, and he couldn't see, he couldn't be made to understand that you know that Marvin Miller was worth voting for. I mean, this guy benefited from free agency as much as any player, you know, in terms of becoming a superstar. And if he can't see it, then oh, it's just it's it's frustrating. But you're right, uh, you know, it's on those players too, and 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 the players dropped the ball uh, several points. So. Who is the first, I'm going to say known, but it's really not going to be known 100%. Who's going to be the first steroid player to be inducted in baseball's Hall of Fame? Well, I do think Bonds and Clemens will get in uh, while they're on the writer's ballot. Um, I think that they will get in 
probably in their last year of their eligibility. I think that there is, you know, if you look at the trends of, of first-time voters coming on and supporting them and, and the old-time uh, writers who are being uh, kind of phased out of the voting, uh, uh, disappearing from the electorate, there's gains every year. But I think there's also uh, a, a certain uh, number of, of, of people that I've talked to that are probably likely to vote for vote for those guys in their 10th year, um, you know, withholding it uh, to see if uh, anything else turns up, but uh, uh, maybe finally uh, caving in the end. Um, so I think they'll be they'll be the first. I mean, you know, you can look at uh, uh, players who are already in. I mean, both Jeff Bagwell and, and Mike Piazza admitted to using Andro uh, back when it was still legal, and that's you know that's kind of a gray area. Um, but uh, uh, I don't think we're going to see anybody who failed a test like Alex Rodriguez or or, or Manny Ramirez getting in any time uh, soon. I think it'll be Bonds and Clements, and I think uh, uh, it'll be a while before anybody else gets in. Uh, from that group, I, I tell you what, I that that's one of the things that that blows me away is that um, guys are getting their fingers pointed out for uh, the uh, Androiden, I think it's called. I don't even know the names of these things, but the 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 stuff that Mark McGuire used to use, Andro, yeah, and they used to, and that was it was not it wasn't uh, not legal to use it. Right. And I don't understand how these guys can be put into the position that they are with fingers pointed at them that they use steroids. And I guess you can say that they did, but they used it well before the time uh, that they were omitted and not being able to be used. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, I mean, to me, when I when I when I write about the era and I talk about, you know, how how what a reasonable approach is, I think. You, you have to draw a line between, you know, when there was a testing policy and these things were actually, um, you know, there was a sanction, you know, for 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 doing something versus when when it was, you know, the quote unquote wild west, when Andrew was available over the counter uh, and people could take it, and you know, and there were drugs coming in from the Dominican Republic and you know supplements that uh, were were were. Uh, uh, you know, sketchy in their labeling. I think that just has just a, those were different times, and I think, um, you know, it's it's imperfect. But uh, I don't think you can hold uh, those players to the same standard if there's no means of enforcing, uh, you know, what was in effect a paper ban from from Faye Vincent uh, versus uh, uh, an actual testing policy with teeth, uh, even one that was as limited as you know what. Uh, uh, the what ten day suspension that Rafael Palmero had to go through, um, you know, when when he got caught. I think they're two two very different things. Jay, I appreciate the time. The Cooperstown casebook. You got to go out and buy it if you haven't already. Evidently, a lot of people around here have because I can't even find a damn thing. But anyway, I will find it. I appreciate you coming on the show. And if somebody's interested in following you on Twitter, what's the handle? It's uh, J-A-Y underscore J-A-F-F-E, uh, Jay Jaffe, just with an underscore in between the two names. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm not hard to find if you look for me. <laughs> uh, just look for his name in SI.com, and you're going to find something interesting. I can guarantee you that. Jay, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Kurt. Great talking to you. We'll Take talk care. Talk to you soon. Another episode, Dirty Kurt's Dugout. Episode number 13, my Dave Concepcion 
episode. I'm glad you sat on the pine with me. Uh, remember, go to patreon.com slash Kurt Bavacqua. Check it out. If you're interested in the show and like it, we'll continue to do it for you. And you can certainly help out by subscribing. And look at the offers. I mean, they're really, really good. The amazing one is the Hall of Fame offer. You got to check it out. And we'll be talking, uh, continuing this Hall of Fame conversation. Uh, We're going to get back into, in the next episode, about the Lost Boys of Summer and the things that the Players Association, the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association do and don't do for alumni players. The Major League Baseball Players Association does squat for alumni players because it's just like the Lost Boys of Summer when Marvin Miller and Don Fair negotiated the contract in 1980 and 1981 that called for the new agreement to read that from that day forward, as soon as a player got one day in the big leagues, he was eligible for a pension. I mean, all we fought for when we first got into baseball was to get four years in. That was your big goal. And it went from four years to 20. And naturally, the pension number progressively got bigger as the years went on. So that's why you saw a lot of guys stay around, try to stay around in uniform as coaches, because at that time, all the coaches on the team were awarded pension time. But nowadays because the association is not nearly as strong as it used to be, especially under the direction of Tony Clark, and that'll be a conversation for the future. But he's one of the reasons that the Lost Boys of Summer aren't getting more money than they really should. The Players Association should go, go to bat for these guys, but they really don't because they've got more important things, like – how many seats on the bus each major league player gets or how many off days that they have to have during the course of the month of August if they've played 24 games. Yeah, those are the kind of things that they sit down and actually put on the bargaining table and negotiate. When there's guys' lives at stake, when their medication is at stake and they can't afford medical insurance, it's a pretty sad state if you were to take a step back and delve into the whole mess and look into it and we are going to do that so join me for the next episode number 14 let's see number 14 gil hodges that's good enough so next show is the gil hodges show we never mentioned steve garvey as far as a guy that could be on the bubble, or should be in the Hall of Fame? Do you feel he should? I mean, there's a pretty big case for Lofton and Whitaker and Simmons and guys like that. Is Garvey one of those guys? We might be talking to Steve soon. Thank you for joining me. Keep it up. We'll talk to you soon, folks. This is 
Kurt Bavakwa saying goodbye for Dirty Kurt's dugout. Talk to you soon. Take care. The barber and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning. Hank Aaron was beginning. One Robbie going out.